Welcome to Just Between Us, a podcast powered by the Corey Johnson Program for Post-Traumatic Healing in Boston. Every week, we focus on ways to heal from the devastating impact of collective trauma on our world. My name is Reverend Liz Walker. My name is Shadel Cummins. We have very special guests today. Individually, Doug Lomax is Director of Safe and Sound Recovery Center for the Boston Public Health Commission, and Donovan Brown is director of the Horton Keller Center for Traumatic Healing in East Chattanooga, Tennessee. But together, they are a part of the Corey Johnson Program for Post-Traumatic Healing with a shared vision focused on young men of color. So welcome to both of you. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for joining us, you guys. You are working on creating a, a new series of healing conversations among young men. Tell us about your vision. Uh, first of all, thanks for having um, us uh, on. This came about from what was going on in the multiple pandemics that we've had been experienced. One, you know, the, the COVID pandemic, but also the racial pandemic where police have been shooting unarmed Black men. And me and Jennifer have really, you know, talked about really having a, a conversation with Black men who were being terrorized and how that felt for black men who became victims of this ongoing violence. And you know, what was going on here in Boston in relationship to what was going on in Chattanooga and things of that nature. So Donovan, let me ask you this. When we talk about the trauma of black men, certainly what Doug talked about is important. The, the, this unjust or unjust world that affects black men. Is that it or is there more to the trauma of black men? Because that's certainly a lot being uh, hunted down or, or considered a, you know, prey for unfair police. I think in the context of talking about the trauma of black men, we're, cer we're certainly well within our, um, well within reason to talk about the trauma of black people. In the context of talking about the trauma of black people, we also need to be considerate of uh, the, the understanding of epigenetics, meaning that a trauma that happened to my mother or father or a grandfather or great-grandfather, that if it being unhealed, it can be passed down through their genes and work its way through generations. So of the traumas of black men, there's this fundamental sense of, firstly, uh, who am I and, and where do I come from? Like, Black people in this country are effectively, uh, we've been orphaned. We were abducted and now we're, we're orphans, right? So I've never been to Africa. I'm not from Africa, but that's where we come from. And I think that in so many of our communities, the, the profound devastations from sy systemic racism and the void that was created when manufacturing left our communities. And so what's risen is this capacity to survive. I think Black people, that we are geniuses that survive. If you put us in any number of conditions, we're going to make it through. But there is a burden. There is a cost to th that vigilance and, and that energy uh, and creativity used to survive. One of the struggles for me has been, well, by the time I was four, I realized there was a, some sort of color-based hierarchy. I didn't know about race when I was four or five, but it was there was a color hierarchy. And the people with the lightest skin were the predominant faces on television. They were the leaders every place that I went. And by the time I was four, somehow I had thought that I was of those people. That's who I was. And I had this painful tragedy when I was, before a kindergartner, I said to my mother and brother that I was white and that they were niggers. Mm. And I had an older friend of mine. And he said to me, Donovan, you're not at fault. All you did is you made you observe the world around you. 
You saw what was before you and you made deductions. And so before I was five years old, the pain and trauma of what racism was had already began to affect me. And ultimately uh, it, it came up and out like this uh, regurgitation, like I something entered my soul, into my being that my body couldn't process. And it regurgitated up upon my mother and my brother. And there is some, some lingering shame from that. Why, uh, why is it important to talk about this? Why do you have conversations on this? Our survival has been totally, totally um, different than any other, any other human being. And, and just to the fact that like, we've had to wear more masks than any other group in this society. And we've had to wear the masks during slavery. We have been so culturally conditioned that we, there's certain norms that we do that no other group does. Hmm. And it's a part of how we survive. And as we find ourselves really having our voice, there's a whole lot of different changes that we're going through. The, the alcohol, the drugs, the mental health, these things affect how we move through this society. Mm. You know, Doug, you mentioned uh, something about the language that is carried um, around, you know, Black men or just Black culture in general, mm -hmm. Black people throughout the years. And so I know growing up, there was definitely this unspoken language that Black men had, you know, they will walk down the street and they'll give a nod. Yeah. They just have this understanding mm -hmm. with each other. With all the work that you're doing, what are you realizing and noticing about the men that you're working with in terms of how they're expressing their feelings? Is there still this unspoken language, even as you guys are working with these men to help them transform and heal from their trauma? The nod, let me just say, speak to the nod. The nod is called cool post. Because there's nothing else about us. We are cool. <laughs> you know? And, and that's come out of a, a survivor. I mean, I'm very sick. I mean, Black men are cool, right? And we have a coolness and that's part of our survival, it's part of our math. But we recognize each other because of what we've gone through. We can be in a whole nother city. Yes. And in a whole nother city, not knowing, but we can see each other coming through the airport and it's a nod. Yeah. It's a coolness yeah. because that's just who we are. Can I just interject here and I can throw this at you, Donovan. Bell Hooks has written a book and that's why I laughed. I don't know if you've read it called We Real Cool. And it's about oh, black wow. men, but it's about it's about black men's identity crisis, really, because right. everybody's trying to be cool. Right. Everybody might not be cool. That's right. <laughs> so, so Donovan, how do you, uh, you know, see our identity crisis as black people and as black men? As Zach was saying a moment ago, and I was thinking about this, this night we're talking about, you can be in Miami and get it and receive mm -hmm. it. You know what I'm saying? And you can be That's in right. Seattle, right? You yeah. can be in Phoenix. It's, right. it, it might even be international. Anyone who was essentially abducted, um, orphaned, and then bred to become super slaves, because ultimately a part of the process of the, of the rape of, of African women, of African-American women, of Negro women, was they were attempting to breed super slaves, yeah, right? Yeah. They, they wanted us, uh, they weren't trying to make super soldiers. Uh, they weren't trying to make the best politicians. They wanted super slaves and super laborers, which is a, is a grotesque reality. Nevertheless, we have survived all these things. And with trauma, I know there is always shame. Yeah. There is shame for victims. And there can also be, also be shame for perpetrators. And when we feel shame, we often want to withdraw. We want to hide. And I think likely a component of, of this cool that we're describing is, is um, in the mask that Doug described for our own, our own survival, that 
that uh, we have uh, invented cool. And the cool we're talking about is also universal. There are folks from throughout the world that attempt to mimic the cool which we developed, but the cool in which we developed was in the midst of a multi-century war and attack against our very humanity for someone else's money. How do we reclaim our name? How do we reclaim a deeper sense of ourselves? And, and ultimately, uh, for the better part of four centuries, we've been trying to figure this out. Nevertheless, uh, we're still at a place now where the, the subtle and explicit images from our history textbooks and what's on the news, the way they frame who we are as threats, to be feared, uh, to be dominated by the police, uh, to be uh, mismanaged by uh, workplaces, uh, to be overlooked for uh, and exploited in, in a, a range of communities. At the, at the very end of the day, our quest requires that we take in, and further our courage to admit the truth about what happened to us, but also recognize that's not just who we are and, and continue and or begin to share with other people, particularly black men or others who we trust. We know what happened to us and we know where this stems from, but what will it take for young men to feel free? I think we have to look at what is really holding us back. And some of it is our own anger, you know, our own violence towards each other. And then we have definitely these, these systems that are not welcoming to us. I don't want to say re-educating us, but continue to educate us. Talking about where we come from, who we are, you know, the potential. And we're talking about this in, our, in, the, in the men's group that we're going to do, the curriculum around who are we, what is our purpose, and really begin to look at those things. Young people are getting an enormous amount of information right now. And how they think is totally different than how I think, hmm. you know? And so I, I think we have to really just listen and we think that we're always gonna be teaching, but they're actually teaching me. When we kick off this group, these young men, right, are going to have and see things totally different probably than the way me and Donovan see it. Mm -hmm. Because it's a different time. Donovan, how would you add to that? Because there is going to be this intergenerational, I would imagine, tension. And I don't mean that in a negative. I just mean what Doug said. Yes. Do you agree, Donovan? I, I think that, that any good friend, any good parent, therapist, you know, priest or pastor, any good doctor, before they move to creating some path of healing, they must first listen. They must first identify what is the nature of what ails a person. What's the pain? What is the trauma? And from there, then we move towards, at least fundamentally, creating a place where people feel safe. So much how I operate as a Black man, there's a certain force that I'm often not even aware of that I employ when I just walk through life. When I run errands, when I walk down the street listening to music, when I'm, when I'm walking to, to, into a restaurant, and I do this in part to kind of part the Red Seas. You know, it, it's an affect to make sure that I'm okay. And I think that as this is something we so often do, it can be really like profoundly difficult and challenging to turn that off, to, to do some of the other kind of work and maybe the deeper kind of work of listening to oneself and determining where the fault lines of pain and hurt exist. And certainly with cycles of PTSD, the brain won't even let you think of think of the future. I think to become whatever our best selves may be, we actually have to envision uh, to have the um, intellectual, uh, the, the cognitive psychological space to creatively think about who do I want to be? And so first we got to listen. And then from there, it's about cultivating that sense of safety and then walking alongside our brothers and our brothers 
And then there's some things that, that we've done that we're in front of them, meaning that we've walked ahead of them and then we can point the way, but we're pointing that in that direction as we're walking alongside of them. What's the most important advice you want to pass on to this next generation of black men? But I sort of struggle with being able to speak my voice in the way that I want it to be spoken. I think what I want to pass on is really one, exercising your voice. You know, don't be afraid to say what's on your heart and where, and where you see things. And that this other thing, you know, still be able to have a very tentative listening ear. Donovan, your advice? I almost want to just copy and paste what Doug said <laughs> and say, yeah, I, I agree. Every person who's existed on this planet is a derivative of the African genome. That all human civilization is birthed from the continent of Africa and even white people. And ironically, even white supremacy uh, is a form of black supremacy. That when we, what white people are is a subset of Africans who live to a certain place, stay there a certain amount of time, and there are a range of external conditions. And that when we got here, we came from a place a complicated nation states throughout human history, different parts of the world were deemed more advanced or recognized or actually were fundamentally more advanced. Despite what's considered advanced or not advanced, our value does not lie in those things. These are just realities of human existence. Secondly, that, and this is something I'm often saying to myself, I think in reality, uh, to admit weakness and hurt and pain is its own kind of expression of strength. That actually takes strength for me to see the pain that I'm feeling inside, and to admit it to others. And finally, I do recognize that many in this generation have found that the efforts of many who come before them have led to a much different kind of America than what I was born into and what Doug was born into. And there are two realities about racism. One is it evolves as it's an abusive system. Like it wasn't birthed out of hatred. It was essentially birthed out of a need to justify, to morally justify taking someone else's land and taking someone else's labor for money, for power, uh -huh. for place. Hatred became a, a component of it largely when we rebelled against the status quo at the time. So throughout human history, often when we were at our best, they were at our worst in reaction to that. And it does take boldness. And sometimes we have to dare to commit to honesty with those who we care about. Ultimately, we're born into this world and we pass on. And one thing that remains is that I think that God does exist. And that he holds the full capacity of the human experience in his hands. And that despite the pain turmoil, plights of both good and bad that we experience, all can be held within him. I recognize that we don't all believe that. And I think healing is for us, even if we don't. And so the work that Doug and I are doing are for all men in our community. It's not just Black men that got a problem being honest about what they feel, but men in general in this country. Yeah, right. A real yeah. crisis and being honest. And as, yeah. I, as I finally shut up, when we look at suicide rates in the country, what's happening in many white communities yeah. is a an epidemic. There's roughly 10 to 11,000 homicides a year in the country. That's tragic. Of the 75,000 suicides, 75% of those are white men. So I think that while we need to heal, and there are lies that we believe, there are also lies that white men have believed about who they are implicitly and explicitly better and what's entitled to them, and the world has changed. I want to thank you both for being with us today. I uh, Just fascinating, compelling conversation. And I say with all the respect and love inside me that you are both real cool. So thank you very much. And thank you all. We hope you'll continue to join us for these conversations just between us and in our uh, weekly Zoom conversations called Can We Talk? If you want to learn more about Can We Talk and the Corey H. Johnston program, visit our website at rpcsocialimpactctr.org. That's rpcsocialimpactctr.org. Be well.